And so uh, this is great, and I, I'm blessed to be here, and, and uh, we've been visiting with your pastor and his wife, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, since Thursday. They were so gracious enough to pick us up in Newark, and then we immediately drove up to Mystic, Connecticut uh, to visit there, and we had a great time. And then we stopped in New London, Connecticut, because over 40 years ago, I was stationed there in the Navy. I was in the submarine service. And so it's been a long time since I've been there. And uh, we accidentally drove on base, and they pulled their weapons on us and <laughs> escorted us off. We went the wrong way. There's all these guys standing there with their guns, and okay, okay, we're sorry. And we literally had to be escorted off, and they almost arrested your pastor. And, <laughs> but uh, we've been having a good time. Then we took the ferry across from uh, Connecticut, never done that before. And uh, so we're going to be around today, and then tomorrow we leave. We, we are going back to Jersey City where our daughter Jennifer and son-in-law Ping J. Villiegas, some of you might know them. Uh, we're going to join them, and then Wednesday night, the four of us, we're going to be uh, flying over to Scotland and Ireland for 10 days. So this is a really special time to, to be here, and, and it's been a blessing just to be with you all uh, this morning, and I count it a privilege to, to share the Word of God I have been a pastor. I'm not a pastor right now because I stepped down from my church after almost 32 years, a year ago, April. So that's like, what, 18 months. So I'm really rusty, really rusty right now when it comes to preaching because I haven't been preaching. We moved down to Oklahoma City and um, joined a local church there, and, and they've been asking me to teach Sunday school to fill in, and I've been doing that in August. I taught four Sundays in a row. And, uh, but not preaching, uh, but I'm thrilled about being here with you, and hopefully God will bless um, what I have to share with you, and it's based upon the passage that was read just a short time ago, Philippians chapter 2. You know, American pop singer Andy Williams, and that really dates me right there, okay? Andy Williams had a, a number of hit songs during his long singing career, and one of them is one that you might recognize. It's called, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. You know, to this day, it is still ranked as one of the most favorite Christmas songs of all time. But to a lot of people, while the Christmas season is indeed a wonderful time of the year, it really comes in second to what is truly the most wonderful time of the year. And that is football season. <laughs> Right? Football season. To a lot of people, football season is the hap, happiest season of all, to borrow words from that song. And that is because it's time again for you to cheer on your favorite high school or college team, or if you uh, like professional football like I do, it's time for you to cheer on the Buffalo Bills, right? Hey! Sound like anybody you know? Your pastor. And that's because we both grew up in Buffalo, New York, and after all these years, I still follow them and, and, and uh, have uh, wept <laughs> over the years since those four Super Bowl losses, and, and uh, sad to say for some of you, I actually have become a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, 
Can you imagine that? They're the ones that beat the Bills, you know, four times, not four times in a row, two, two times, two times. And, and yet I live, you know, real close to Dallas, and, and so uh, I, I've come to like that particular team. And, um, and I, I might just add here, since we're talking about football, and um, was it not last week that the Buffalo Bills beat somebody here in, well, at least in New Jersey, right? They beat the Jets, and today... They're going to be here again in New Jersey, and I hope they're going to beat the Giants. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, you know, one of the most recognizable names in the world of professional football is Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi. For you who do not know him, Vince Lombardi was the legendary head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And during his years at Green Bay, which were from 1959 to 1967, he won six conference titles five league championships, and he won the first two Super Bowls. And today the Super Bowl trophy is named after him. And if you ever go up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Packers play, you can actually see a statue of him which is 14 feet high. That's how much they adored this particular man. Also, his name remains attached to to some of the most famous quotes in uh, American sports history. I want to share some of of these because they're great. Confidence is contagious, so is a lack of confidence. Vince Lombardi said that. He said, we didn't lose the game, we just ran out of time. That's a good one, isn't it? It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. He also said, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. He said, the measure of who we are is what we do with what we have. Here's another one that I really like. Winners never quit and quitters never win. And then lastly, I mean, I could share so many, but he said this, the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. That's good, isn't it? Now, one of the things that separated Vince Lombardi from other great NFL coaches was his passion for going back to basics. You know, it's reported that every year at the beginning of a new season, he would gather together his team And he would hold up a football and he would say this, gentlemen, this is a football. This is what he would do. I read that. You know, it's impossible to get any much more basic than that, right? This is a football. Now, he did this not because he didn't think his team of NFL superstars like, you know, Bart Starr or Jim Taylor or Paul Hornick or Jerry Kramer. Some of you older people probably recognize those great football players. It wasn't... That they didn't know what a football was, not at all, but because he knew it was vital for their personal success as well as the success of the team as a whole. You see, when you go back to the basics, you often learn something new or forgotten. Going back to the basics also can reignite in you a passion, a renewed passion. And furthermore, going back to the basics keeps everyone on the same page. So for these reasons and others, going back to the basics was the hallmark of the great Vince Lombardi. He realized that the key to having a winning season was that the players and as a team, they would focus on the basics. Now, if a winning season is going to characterize us individually, as well as us corporately as a church like this church, it's going to entail us going back to the basics of the Christian life and purposing to practice them 
consistently in our lives. Now, let me remind you that the basics of the spiritual life are essentially the same for all, for new believers as well as for older saints, for mega churches as well as for younger churches or smaller churches. Maintaining a dynamic spiritual life requires the same effort of the basics from everyone. You know, there are no tricks, my friends, or shortcuts to this process. The only way to excel in the Christian life is to concentrate on the basics. We never outgrow our need from them, for them. We never outgrow the, our need for them. You know, granted, <coughs> excuse me, attention to them, uh, you know, given to these particular basics that we're going to be looking at, may seem as exciting as flossing our teeth, but when you do it right, my friends, you'll see the results. So what are the basics? Well, for our answer, we turn to the great Apostle Paul, who was the Vince Lombardi of the early church, because he too stressed the importance of mastering the basics. You see, in Paul's view, the successful life in Christ did not consist of an impossible set of of standards. Not at all. As Paul teaches, as we will see here in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, those who are in Christ should demonstrate their Christian life through four basics. And we're going to look at these in the time that we have together. They are work it out, shine it out, hold it out, and then pour it out. Those are the four basics of the Christian life that we see here in this particular passage. So I hope you have your Bibles open now to Philippians chapter 2. I happen to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. I know a lot of you have the NIV, but they parallel pretty closely. I've used the NASB my entire ministry as a pastor, so didn't want to switch at this late stage in my life. Now, as this passage reveals the Christian life, is profoundly and wonderfully simple. You know, sometimes we we get the impression that going deep with Christ requires of us a mastery of, you know, complex formulas, and, and as well that we have to have a clear grasp of systematic theology. We, we get this in our heads, and, and yet that's not true. Contrary to what many believe, God does not want to confuse us with complexities, not at all. Success in our walk with Christ is like success in football. It's the basics that count. So let's take a closer look at each of these four basics of the Christian life presented here by Paul, starting with work it out. Say that with me, work it out. Okay, that's the very first one, work it out. And we read of this in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 begins, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, whenever you see the words so then, or therefore, or wherefore, remember that they usually introduce the logical application of the truth that had just been presented. And in this case, it's the truth of Christ's supreme example that Paul gives to us in verses 5 through 11. You, you don't have any passage in the Word of God that so clearly elevates the person of Jesus Christ as that right there. And you read it, and we're not going to do that right now because of time, but I would encourage you to read verses 5 through 11 again, just to refresh your memory of it. Essentially, Paul is telling the Philippians here, Obey not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. 
because you have a greater motive to do so. And that motive is the example of Jesus Christ. And he says, following his example is a higher motive than the motive of pleasing me. So this opening statement reminds us that we should live our lives for the sole purpose of pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The question that we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis, a daily basis, are what would Jesus have me to do? What would Jesus have me to do? What would please him? That's the mindset we are to have as we seek to live for the Lord. Now, Paul continues in verse 12 by using this higher motive of Christ's example to challenge the Philippians to observe the first basic of the Christian life, which is what? Work it out, right? Work out your salvation. Now, what does Paul mean by this? That's, that's a difficult phrase there. Is he suggesting, as some believe, that, that you are to work for your salvation? Is that what he's saying? No. Philippians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation, my friends, is a gracious gift of God given in response to faith in Jesus Christ and not something that we have to earn. So if you are here this morning without faith in Christ, I would urge you to do so. There's nothing you've got to do but put your faith and trust in him. Acknowledge yourself to be a sinner, which you are. We're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And recognize that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. It will be the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And I'm so very glad that I made that decision. And by the way, guess who the person is that led me to the Lord? That person is here in this room. That's right. It was Lori. Lori, Al's wife, led me to the Lord back in 1973. Wow, that really dates me, doesn't it? And her too, but but that's different. She led me to the Lord. She loved me so much that she took the time to share the gospel with me. And I can never, ever thank her enough for that. I'm telling you, it's changed my life forever, my friends. And she was responsible for that. She took the time to share the gospel with me. So what Paul is communicating here is that as beloved ones of the Lord, each of us is to work out your salvation in the sense of continually growing in Christ-likeness, as well as continually fulfilling one's God-given potential. Now, question is, how is this accomplished? How is this accomplished? Let me tell you how. By translating what you know into action. Translating what you know into action. Now, of course, this is easier said than done, for sure. You know, for most of us, there's a a great disparity between our knowledge and our practice. It's not that we're undertaught when it comes to the Bible. No, most people do not face You know, a problem of knowledge, at least those who attend churches like this one where the Word of God is preached and taught every single week. By the way, you know the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching is pouring it on. Teaching is rubbing it in. That's the difference right there. That's what Al and I do. We pour it on and we rub it in. We keep doing that over and over again. And and you are blessed because of that, because of the ministry of the Word here. See, the problem is translating what we already know into daily conduct. That's where the problem is. But we have to commit ourselves to that. And, And that's what it means here, to work out your salvation. 
Now, Paul reveals to us at the end of verse 12 the attitude that is necessary in working out our salvation. He writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, the question is, what does Paul mean by this? I suggest to you, based upon other uses of this phrase by the Apostle Paul, that fear and trembling is the attitude of passion and not fright. That is, this phrase conveys the idea of putting energy and effort into the practice of translating biblical knowledge into truth. In other words, as believers, we are to be passionate about working out our salvation because of the spiritual benefits that result, which again are we grow in Christ's likeness as well as the fact that we fulfill our God-given potential and purpose. And let's not overlook the fact that this attitude of passion when it comes to the Christian life also pleases the Lord. So often we fail in this regard. We just we kind of have a carefree attitude about the Christian life. We get so accustomed to it, and, and we're not passionate like we should be. And, and that's displeasing to the Lord. And But when we have that kind of passion, he is pleased with that. Now look at verse 13. For in it Paul reveals the secret to working out our salvation. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's how the New American Standard puts it. So as this verse makes clear, we are not left alone to grit our teeth, you know, and gut it out spiritually. Sometimes we think that, man, it's all up to me. I'm the one that's responsible for the direction of my Christian life. Not at all. Instead, we have the promise that God is at work in us so that we, in turn, can work out our salvation. Someone has put it this way. The Christian life is not a series of ups and downs, but rather of ins and outs. God works in, we are to work out. Now, the word work here in verse 13 means literally to energize, which would allow for the translation, for it is God who energizes you. In other words, what we see here is that every believer has the God-given energy present within their lives, which allows them to possess both the willpower and the do power to please Him. And of course, this energy comes through the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's one of the blessings of salvation. We We didn't know that when we first received Christ, but at the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit began a wonderful work in all of our lives. He redeemed us. He indwelt us. He, he baptized us into the body of Christ. He sealed us. He, he empowers us as we're seeing here. All those things are going on because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. So the first basic of the Christian life that I challenge you to put into practice is work it out, my friends. Work it out. That is, be passionate about living the Christian life. Be passionate about it. Don't be ho-hum about it. Be passionate about it. Purpose this third Sunday of September of 2019 that you will strive to be pleasing the Lord and growing in Christ-likeness. Now, the second basic of the Christian life that Paul reminds us of in this passage is shine it out. Say that. Shine it out. Okay, shine it out. Now, look at with me at verses... 14 and 15. This is what we read. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Again, I'm reading from the New American. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you you appear as lights in the world. 
So as Paul instructs here, we are to appear as lights in the world or literally shine as stars in heaven or in the world, excuse me, shine as stars in the world because the Greek word for light here literally means luminaries or stars. So Paul likens Christians to stars, bold, blazing, life-giving stars that shine in the midst of a dark world. Now, as Paul reminds us in these two verses, our effectiveness as lights in the world is dependent upon several requirements. First, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And the NIV puts it, do all things without complaining or arguing. I think what Paul is trying to say here is that if our light is going to shine unhindered, we have to curtail in our lives that verbal pollution that is so common among people today. You just have to go out in society and hear that. And it's, it's pollution, isn't it? That stuff that comes into your ears. But unfortunately, it also is found within the church, right, among believers. As Chuck Suendo observes, some Christians act like they have been weaned off of a dill pickle. <laughs> and he's right. I mean, just look at them. Their faces, man, alive, you know. He talks about people who have yes faces and no faces. Do you have a yes face today? A yes face is an approachable face. Someone that when you come to them, you, you know that you're going to be accepted by them. There's a lot of people, man, you look at their face and you know they don't want to have anything to do with you. So it begins there with your continence, but then it also is seen in how you talk. How you talk. And there's a lot of Christians that are complaining, you know, grumbling. They're arguing, they're disputing. That's just their lifestyle. It's wrong, it's sinful, and it should stop. Well, notice as well that our effectiveness as lights in the world is dependent upon possessing three character traits that we read of in verse 15. We are to be first blameless, and this word suggests a purity of life, a life free of moral defect. We are to also be innocent, which also kind of means pure. They overlap these words. This, this particular word comes from a Greek word that was used of wine which had not been diluted. In other words, it was, it was a good wine. They didn't water it down. Or metal that had not been weakened in any way. Thus, it suggests a life not diluted or weakened by sin. That's how we are to be as believers. And finally, Paul writes, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. There's a well-known pastor for many years out in, in uh, the Bay Area of California, uh, Pastor Ray Stedman. He pastored the Peninsula Bible Church, a very humongous church back in the 60s and 70s and so forth. And he used to translate the phrase, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, this way, as in the midst of crooks and perverts. That's how he would translate that. And that kind of describes the day in which we live, Right? I mean, there's a lot of crooks and perverts out there in the world all around. We have them back in Oklahoma. I know I'm a police chaplain. I, I drive around with the police officers, and we come across these crooks and perverts. Well, above reproach refers to a life unassociated with such conduct, a, a person free of that kind of a blemish. So what, what is Paul trying to tell us in verses 14 and 15? He's trying to tell us that we, should, we shine best when we model lives that differ from, from what is normal in the world. In other words, in a world full of crooks and perverts, we are to live our lives differently from them so that people recognize that difference. They recognize us to be 
Not weird. I'm not suggesting that or strange. I don't, I don't want to suggest that because sometimes we as Christians get that label. But, but we are to be different in just our continence and our speech and how we you know, receive people and so forth. And, and so what Paul is saying and what he's challenging us here is that as Christians, we are to shine it out, even if it means shining alone, whether it be in the home or at work or in the school. Thank God for that prayer today. That was really great. And it reminded me of Oklahoma. We were having some problems in our schools back there. We saw a video on Oklahoma News where a teacher was literally beat up by a student. It was horrible. And there's a student just pounding on this teacher, and it made the news. So we have problems back there. As I'm sure you all have them, problems here in the schools. That's why we need to be praying. I thank you for that prayer. And so, you know, we, we need to be shining as, as Christians, whether it be at work or at home or, or at, at school or college. Wherever we go, we are to be lights. Paul is challenging us to put before the world a, a clear, clean lamp by living a life that is free of grumbling and disputing and a life that is characterized by being blameless and innocent and above reproach. American author Madeline LaEngle expressed what Paul conveys here in these two verses beautifully when she wrote the following, and here's what she wrote. We draw people to Christ not by discrediting what they believe or telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's so very true. Now as we move on to verse 16, we see that putting into practice the basics of the Christian life demands not only that we work it out and shine it out, but third of all, hold it out. Say it after me. Hold it out. Okay. And we see that in verse 16. Let me read from the Bible again. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Now there's some debate among Bible translators as to whether Paul wanted to convey the idea of holding fast the word of life, as I have it in my New American Standard Bible, or holding out the word of life as the King James Version or the NIV, which you hold within your hand, translate the Greek. And I actually think the better translation is the NIV translation, which is holding out the word of life. Why? Because it builds upon Paul's previous point, which is that as Christians, not only should we seek to dispel the darkness around us by our shining example, but as well by us holding forth or holding out the world, to the world what it needs the most, which is the word of truth, the word of God. So see from this verse that our calling as Christians is not one of isolation or insulation from the world, but what? One of penetration. We are to go into the world with the gospel. You know, another word for this third basic of the Christian life is what? Evangelism. As soon as we hear that, we kind of, ooh, evangelism. Makes us all uncomfortable. But you know what? There are so many ways that we can acquaint people with the gospel. There's so many ways. Just, just by living our life before them. And they see that. And oftentimes that opens up doors of opportunity. You can, you can just share your testimony with people. What God's been doing in your life. You can write letters or emails, hand out tracts, give away you know, books or CDs or DVDs or, 
even something as simple as invite your family and friends to this church here so that they can come under the sound of the word of God. For me, I, I made a decision many, many years ago since I was involved in church ministry and around church people predominantly because of being a pastor that I had to find a way of being out there in the world. Here I'm encouraging our church people to go out in the world. What can I do to be in the world? And that's when I chose to become a police chaplain. And so I work with police officers. I have now for many, many years. And uh, I've had the privilege to go uh, through the police academy in Oklahoma. I'm the one and only police chaplain that went through the whole academy that, that officers go through. I participated in that, did everything that they did. And, you know, I could have come out as a, 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 an officer, and, and, but I didn't. I remained a chaplain. But it sure gave me an open door to minister to police officers. When they know that I've been through academy, then uh, that has opened a lot of doors for me. And I do that because police carry a lot of responsibility upon them. And I met the lieutenant over here, and, and uh, I understand a little bit. I'm not, I don't live here in New, uh, in New York City, but I do live in Oklahoma City, and I suspect that a lot of what he deals with is the same as the officers back in Oklahoma City. And so, you know, I talk with these officers, and I seek to help them, and often conversation turns then into spiritual things, and I can pray with them and encourage them. And so that's what I've decided to do. The point is, the important thing is that we recognize the place of evangelism in our lives and then ask God to propel us into action. And why is this so important? Well, first, we see that there's the reward of of seeing people come to faith in Christ. You know, Lori has that blessing because she saw me come to faith in Christ. And uh, and then we see in the life to come, you know, we're going to have reason to glory or boast. That's what Paul writes about here. He says the day of, of Christ that he makes reference to refers to the rapture when Jesus returns and meets his own in the air. And so what he's saying is that, you know, he's, he's going to have something to, to boast about because he spent time sharing the gospel with the people, and they came to faith in Christ. And, and so it comes down to this. What, what about you and me, you know? Are, are you going to have something to boast about in eternity? Will there, will there be those who come to you in glory and say, thank you for sharing Christ with me? Thank you for holding out to me the word of life? Are you going to have anybody come up to you when you finally get home to heaven? Or will the opposite be true for you, which is that you will have nothing to glory or boast about. Be reminded from verse 16 that it's so easy to run in vain or toil in vain. It's so easy to get sidetracked spiritually and spend one's energy on things that have no eternal value. My friends, we have to devote ourselves to those things in life that reap eternal benefits and for sure evangelism is one of them. So God help us all to be faithful in holding out the word of life. Well, there's a fourth and final basic as it pertains to the Christian life that we need to give attention to, and that is what we see in verses 17 and 18. And it can be summarized this way. Pour it out. Say that with me. Pour it out. That's the fourth and final one. Now look what Paul writes there. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. 
Now, we need to understand a custom connected to the giving of Jewish sacrifices to fully appreciate what Paul is saying here. (coughs) Often, a Jewish animal sacrifice was accompanied by what was called a libation, which is nothing more than a drink offering, in which a cup of wine would be poured upon the burnt offering. Well, what Paul is doing here is drawing from that practice. Paul was saying that he himself was willing to be poured out as a drink offering for the spiritual advancement of those believers, even to the point of death. He was willing to lay down his life for them if that is what God wanted from him. And, and you go back to chapter 1, you see that for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So we see that tug of war going on in his heart. But he was willing to let go of everything, whatever it took for those believers. And so, and, and we see here too in this passage that the prospect of laying down his life for them, you know, didn't cause him to be sorrowful at all. What did it cause him to be joyful? He says as much when he wrote, I rejoice and share my joy with you. Now that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? It is if you look at it from the world's point of view. But Paul lived his life from heaven's point of view. Paul understood that the sufferings on earth that we experience for Christ will one day be transformed into glory in heaven. And so that that meant suffering, physical sufferings, even to the point of death, and so be it. Paul was willing to do that. He knew his sacrifice served as a stepping stone to glory for him as well as blessing for the Philippians. Oh, my friends, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want it to count for something? If so, then follow Paul's example and pour out your life in behalf of others. As missionary martyr Jim Elliott so eloquently put it, and I quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen, Amen. yes. As I bring this to a close now, back in 2009, Allstate Insurance Company came out with a one-minute commercial, a one-minute commercial about surviving during the tough times of financial upheaval. And it was right after the 2008 stock market uh, crash. And the message that was delivered by their spokesman, who continues to be the spokesman, which is Dennis Haysbert. You know, he's the guy, if you remember on the commercial, he's sitting in the middle of a road and all these cars are flying by. You remember? You still see that commercial. He's still their spokesperson. And I love his voice, by the way. I just wish I had that kind of a speaking voice that he had. But this is what he said. This was a one-minute commercial. This is what he said. I'm going to quote now. 1931 was not exactly a great year to start a business. But that's when Allstate opened its doors. And through the 12 recessions since, they've noticed that after the fears subside, a funny thing happens. People start enjoying the small things in life. A home-cooked meal, time with loved ones, appreciating the things we do have, the things that we can count on. And then he finishes with this. It's back to basics. And the basics are good Protect them. Put them in good hands. So to bring this to a close, in these few verses in Philippians chapter 2, Paul has shown us that the key to the Christian life is going 
back to basics. And my friends, the basics are good. They're good. What are they again? First, work it out. Work it out. Be passionate about living the Christian life. Second, shine it out. Be an example of godly living before people. Third, hold it out. Be faithful to share the word of life to those around you. And then last of all, pour it out. Be willing to spend your life for the cause of Jesus Christ and others. So the basics are good. Therefore, let's protect them. Why? Because of their great value. Mastering these basics is critical to living the Christian life, to doing what God would have us to do, to to be all that God desires for this local church. So protect them. Finally, let's put them in good hands. And of course, for us, that is, let's put them in the hands of God. For doing so, will allow God to turn these basics into blessings. When we commit ourselves to observing these basics individually as well as corporately, then God's going to bless our lives. And as he bless our lives individually, he's going to bless the life of a local church like this one right here. May God bless his word this morning to our hearts. Let me close in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning after these many, many years. And Lord, to see your gracious work in the lives of everyone here in this church. Thank you for Pastor Al. Thank you for the other pastors, Lord, and their faithfulness to the Word of God, teaching it and preaching it as they do, Lord, from week to week. And I pray that you'll sustain them and use them. And Lord, bless this church. I pray, God, that um, after all these years of ministry, that they will continue to be committed to the basics of the Christian life so that in doing so, your gracious hand will be upon them so that they will experience even greater blessings for the building up of the kingdom of God here in this area. So, Father, thank you again for the word of God and how you can use it in our lives to continue to grow us up in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.